Hello everyone and welcome again to another edition of Is It Worth It? Now if this is your first time listening to the show, I'm a subsidiary of the retro RPG podcast you would normally listen to, although I don't only talk about RPGs. I talk about rare and or valuable games, usually both. Hi, I'm your host Blaine J, and today we're going to be reviewing Lunar 2 for the Sega CD. Now, why Lunar 2, you might ask? Why not Lunar 1? Why for the Sega CD? Well, my wife bought me Lunar 2 some years ago. Uh, I played it as a kid and I loved it. I also own this for the PlayStation, which is admittedly the better version. Um, however, I took out the old Sega CD here recently and I was kind of playing on this game and that and uh, kind of looked at Lunar 2 and was like, you know, I haven't played that in quite some time. Now, I've replayed through Lunar 1 a few years ago and, and it was great. I, I love it. And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll give Lunar 2 another shake. I hadn't played it in nearly 20 years. And uh, where I'm sitting at right now, I'm about 15 to 20 hours in, somewhere in that area, uh, pretty much at the very end of the game. And as such, I decided, well, you know, I'm, I'm putting the time in on this anyway. I might as well do a podcast about it because this game is both rare and somewhat valuable. So if you aren't familiar with the Lunar 2 series, it is indeed a role-playing game. Um, this game came out in 1994, uh, published by Working Designs. You may know Working Designs for their work with, well, most popularly, Lunar. They also did Popful Mail, uh, the Grow Lancer series. Um, uh, they, they ported, I believe, uh, Wanderers from YS on the Turbo Graphics. Uh, a number of other mostly role-playing games. A few uh, shooters and stuff like that. But uh, they were a very like niche kind of company where they would release these games that would otherwise never get released here in the States, and Lunar was one of them, and it was a big hit for them. Unfortunately, uh, sometime in the mid-2000s, they had to close their doors, but uh, before they did that, they, they put out quite a few great games for us to play, this being one of them. Um, it's, as I said, an RPG, and uh, it plays pretty much like your atypical RPG. Uh, you get into random battles, walking through dungeons, or... Uh, you know, the overworld map or what have you. And uh, unlike, say, Final Fantasy, where it shows your characters on one side and the enemies on the other, and um, you just kind of jump forward and swing your sword or cast your spell at the enemy or what have you as your turn comes up, uh, on this game, you choose what you want to do with each character at the beginning of each round, and then they execute that in order of their agility. And also, the screen, although it isn't actually gridded out, is in a grid of, I believe, like 4 or 5 by 16 or 20, something of that nature. And your characters can move depending on their movement range, which goes up. It's an attribute that goes up as you level. And uh, they can move adjacent to enemies and attack them. Or if you have ranged abilities or spells, you can cast them, you know, from wherever on the map, etc. And sometimes the enemies, when you start a battle, will be surrounding you or right next to you or whatever. So, uh, And they have to get in within range of you as well to be able to attack you. So that comes into effect sometimes. I wish you had a little more control over it and actually got to choose where your, uh, your characters move to. They do this automatically. But it's still pretty neat and different, and it, it plays pretty well, actually. Characters also have uh, these sprites that show not armor unique, like if you equip a different set of armor you still look the same unfortunately, but when you equip different weapons it does uh, show a different weapon equipped in your hand, so that's cool, you know, it adds a little something as to where, you know, if you say equip a bow it doesn't still show you holding a wand or whatever like that, so that's nifty. 
Now, the game starts when you start this game. It shows uh, the blue star. If you're unfamiliar with uh, Lunar, uh, basically what had happened is, long, long time ago, uh, the people of Earth basically turned it into a wasteland, which isn't too unrealistic. But then this goddess comes down and um, takes all the people and moves them to the moon. And she makes the moon habitable. And then throughout the ages, they kind of forget about the blue star. It's obviously Earth, but it's still to them, it just they consider it a blue star because they're living on the moon. And they're able to live there because of the goddess's power. And the goddess has to be reborn occasionally as um, an earthling and then dies and is reborn again, etc. And she's protected by what is known as a Dragon Master. And the Dragon Master derives his power from the four dragons. There's a red, a blue, a black, and a white dragon. And um, each one grants you different powers. Now, we start this game, there is no Dragon Master in the world, uh, but the game opens up with a scene on the blue star, which is completely covered in ice. Um, and this girl awakens, and she's supposed to awaken when the blue star is habitable once again, you know, after enough time has passed that everyone can be relocated back to Earth. Unfortunately, she wakes up early and doesn't know why. And she says, you know, well, why have I been awakened? I have, to, I have to go meet with Althena, the goddess. And so she goes into this transportation-like thing and gets sent to the, um, to the moon, lunar. And when she does, it creates this bolt of energy that flies to the moon, and it uh, arouses the suspicions of uh, the bad guys, you know, well, how come she's coming to Earth sort of thing. Put that out of your mind for now, because now we flip to the main hero of the game, who is ironically named Hero, although it's spelled H-I-R-O. But he is indeed a hero, and it shows him, he's kind of a, a treasure hunter, jack-of-all-trades kind of character. Um, we open up, he's in a dungeon, and he's lowering himself with a rope, and uh, he's hanging upside down, and he's removing a eye, a jewel, that is an eye in this dragon statue. And he's accompanied by what looks like a flying cat, a little red flying cat. And this cat can talk, and is named Ruby. And it tells you at the beginning of this game that Ruby uh, believes that she is a red dragon, a baby red dragon. And uh, Hero doesn't quite believe that, but... Whatever, they, um, they've grown up together. They were left on the doorstep, I believe, um, of this older gentleman named Gwen. And Gwen is the foremost authority of this thing called the Goddess Tower. And he's studied it his whole life, and he lives next door to it. Like, and he's got a lookout tower where he watches it constantly, and he's, he's uh, just obsessed with this thing. Well, Hiro gets this, or Hiro, gets this... Um, Dragon Eye Jewel, and he, he comes back and speaks with um, Gwen uh, briefly. He doesn't mention that he just uh, raided the tomb uh, that he did to get this jewel. And the light happens right at this moment with uh, her name is Lucia, this girl that awakened on the uh, blue star, uh, gets sent down and the light hits the goddess tower and Gwen is very excited about this. You know, oh, you know, something's going on there and he's looking through his thing. Well... At the same moment, it gets noticed by um, General Leo, who is the white dragon uh, guardian. And he's told, apparently, by Althena that he needs to go to the goddess tower, open it up, because what got sent down, it, he, his information, 
is a destroyer of worlds. Um, we quickly learn that that's not the truth at all, but he, he comes in, he's got this big ship called the Dragon Ship Destiny, and it's this flying airship, and, and he comes in, lands uh, next to uh, Gwen's place, kind of barges his way in and demands that Gwen, being you know the most authoritative uh, figure on the Goddess Tower, uh, take him to it and open the doors. And Gwen says, well, I think I have a theory of how to open it, but I've never tested it. And he tells you, the main character, to go to a treasure chest and take what's inside. And when you do, you get the right dragon jewel. Now, earlier, we stole the left dragon jewel. You, you go with uh, Leo in tow and Gwen, and Gwen is a playable character, briefly. Um, he's kind of your atypical older gentleman. He has a few healing spells and a, a staff. He can... He can hit guys, but not for very much. He's really kind of um, not very useful. Now, the main character is very useful. He, as I said, he's kind of a jack-of-all-trades. He starts with two abilities, Posword and um, Boomerang. Boomerang is largely useless, and Posword is great. So that's the one you're probably going to be using a lot throughout the game, actually. Um, so he's a swordsman. You're, you're kind of atypical, like, hard-hitting attacker with a few spells, you know. And uh, probably the best character in the game, or one of, one of two. Anyway, um, so you go to this tower, and Gwen tries to open by putting, there's a statue of a dragon on the front door, and he puts the one eye in, in its slot, and it doesn't open, obviously, and then Hero has to kind of come clean and say, hey, you know, I got the other one. And so he puts uh, the left jewel in, and the door opens, and you get to go through your first mini-dungeon. Well, it's not too tough, and as you go through, um, you see a statue of uh, what Gwen calls a guardian of the tower, and he says uh, that if the tower feels it's in danger, these things will come alive and attack. Well, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Anyway, you walk past it, and you go to this kind of in-hall chamber, and um, this is where the quote-unquote destroyer is, and it's this beautiful girl, Lucia, and she doesn't really understand what's going on, but um, she asks if you can help her, you know, take her to uh, Althena, she must speak with her and stuff, and you don't want to take her outside to Leo, because Leo's going to grab her up, and it sounds as though he's going to kill her, because he's worried that she's going to destroy the, uh, the Earth, quote-unquote, but it's actually Lunar, the moon. Anyway, um... So you kind of make a snap decision amongst yourselves that, hey, this, this chick's not a destroyer. This chick's, you know, she's, she's uh, just a normal girl and she's uh, worried about the earth or whatever. and um, We need to help her, like you do. And she joins your party, but not as a playable character. She, um, she kind of just does whatever the fuck she wants. But you'll notice quickly as you get into your first battle with her and your party that she is fucking completely badass. Um, she casts these, like, AoE spells that just kill everything on the screen. And she has infinite MP, so she's just doing whatever. And it kind of made me think the first playthrough that maybe she is the Destroyer if she's that badass. But anyway, um, this is a good opportunity for you to just kind of walk around in circles and grind a little bit. Because this is kind of an older RPG, and grinding is, you know, part of it. And uh, this is essentially free experience right now because you're literally having to do virtually nothing. You can defend with your two characters and she'll kill the other guys just every time. Um, that's short-lived, however, because as soon as you leave the chamber that you find her in um, and try and head back down, 
uh, you're accosted by Zophar, who is the big bad in this game. And he's this bad guy that's trying to... Apparently he was sealed away by, by Althena uh, millennia ago, and now he's trying to exact his revenge. He somehow wormed his way out of the abyss that he was in, and he laughs and, you know, you get a little cutscene, and he says, you know, something like, hey, Lucia, it's... Uh, it's pathetic you're even attempting to uh, save humanity, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he casts a spell that seals her true power away and makes her very ill. Great. And then he takes off like a bad guy does. Instead of just killing all of you, he, he does this. So now Lucia is at one hit point, and she only casts the worst of the worst of spells. Um, sometimes she'll still cast kind of a, a halfway decent attack spell, but... Mostly, she's just defending and casting, uh, you know, various, like, power-up spells on different guys. Uh, Mighty Guard on herself to make her, like, more defensive, which really doesn't matter because she's at one fucking hit point, but, you know, whatever. And so, great, she's garbage now. And you'll notice as you're walking out that one of the Guardians, the one Guardian that you saw on the way up, comes alive and you have this little mini-boss battle. It's the first one that you really have and it's it's not too hard you post or the dude uh, you know four or five times and have Gwen just act as a dedicated healer and you shouldn't have any trouble with this and then when you walk outside there were three guardians out front and that's you know one is one thing but three uh, heroes not going to be able to take care of that and you kind of go around or two with them and then this beam of light comes from kind of nowhere and uh, destroys all three of them just boom 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 and it's Leo, and he's aboard the dragon ship Destiny. So, after he Leo destroys everyone, he kind of walks up, you know, all badass and stuff. And he asks if uh, you saw the Destroyer. And, and you lie and say, well, yeah, the, the Destroyer went that way, kind of thing. And I knew it. And uh, he runs in the tower with a couple of his men. He does ask who the girl, the sick girl is. And, and you basically, you know, shrug that off. Oh, it doesn't matter. And you head back to... Uh, to your house there and um, she is a very sick girl she lays down and and Gwen's taking care of her and he says you know I don't know if she's gonna last the night kind of thing we have to find um, a very special healer to be able to um, to lift this curse that Zophar has put on her and the only healer I know talented enough kinda has lost his way he's become a drunk and a gambler and uh, he's kind of our only hope so um, you need to go find this man, and he just happens to be in the town over uh, LARPA. So, you head to LARPA to find this guy, and his name is Ronfar. And you go to LARPA, and you know, you buy a few pieces of equipment upgrades, and so on and so forth, and you find this dude that has a character portrait, which in these older games is a, a surefire way to know that they are important. And he tells you that, oh, he doesn't know anything about Ronfar, you know. That, uh, that he's a butthole that owes him some money or whatever and for maybe check out his house. So, you know, you, you go around town and talking to people and you finally, after you've talked to everybody and whatnot, you go back to the guy and you say, um, hey, I know you're Ronfar and we need your help. And uh, he says, well, if you can beat me at a game of dice, um, then I'll go with you. What do you want with this Ronfar guy anyway? 
You know, he's kind of a deadbeat. Huh, I can't believe he was ever a priest for Althena. But I'll tell you where your guy is if you beat me in a game. Because the only truth I've ever found lies right here. In these! It doesn't matter what you choose. He says you want odds or even. His dice are rigged, and he will win. Um, but Lucia, after the game, collapses on the ground. And Ron Farr, being an old softy, um, he says, well, come on, I've got I've to help you. And he grabs her up, and um, you rush her to uh, this temple, and Ron Farr uses his priest abilities that he's, you know, kind of left dormant. He's more or less a gambler now to, uh, to heal her, but not fully. She's not as strong as she once was, but now at least she has a few hit points. She can cast, you know, a few, a few more things that she wasn't able to cast before. She will actually be able to help the party a little bit here and there. And Ron Farr decides to, uh, to join up permanently, or at least for a while. He promises He'll bring you and the girl to uh, Pentagulia, and you also find out through a series of exchanges that he used to be best friends with General Leo because he was in love with um, Leo's sister, Mori, and Mori is the, uh, the defender, the guardian of the Red Dragon, and Leo, of course, the White Dragon. So brother and sister, both guardians, and um, Ronfar failed to lift Mori's curse. She managed to live anyway. But when she awoke, she wasn't quite the same, and Ronfar never forgave himself for giving up on her because he thought that she was going to die. Anyway, he went off to become a drunk and a gambler, and now he's helping you uh, against Leo because he, as everyone else, just has this innate feeling that Lucio is actually a, a pretty good person. So you guys head into the Illusion Woods. Now, when you enter the woods, there's like this woodsman there, and uh, he he happens to know Ronfar. He's um, lost a lot of money to Ronfar in the past, and, and he says, Hey, Ronfar, give me a chance to win my money back. And Ronfar says, Well, what are the stakes if you don't have anything? He's like, Well, the money you owe me, or if you win, I'll cast a spell on you to be able to see the illusions through these woods, because right now it looks like you're in a dead end. And uh, Ronfar agrees, and of course his dice are rigged, so he wins, and this woodsman casts a spell on you to see the uh, paths through the woods, so you're able to navigate. And um, you do so, and immediately after you go through the first path, Leo's right on your heels. And uh, he's, he's discovered, of course, that um, Lucia is the quote-unquote destroyer, and... He runs in with all his men, and they run around. They find the woodsman, and they say, well, there doesn't appear to be a path through the woods. And he's like, oh, crap, we'll have to take the long way around in the destroyer. And they leave, and then you make your way through the Illusion Woods. Now, this was the first time I got really frustrated with this game. <clears throat> because the very first battle you get in, or that I got in anyway, and probably one of the first ones you will, you'll encounter these little green goblin fucks. And these guys aren't too tough. You can take them out with like a single attack or postword from um, uh, Hero, but instead of attacking you, what they do the first few rounds is they'll raise their arms and they'll call another goblin in, and then that goblin will call one in, and then that one will call one in. This isn't too bad if you have enough characters to kill more than they're calling, but right now you don't, so this is an odd place to place creatures like this. And the very first battle I got in, I shit you not, 
I fought for nearly an hour and I was very very worried that I was gonna lose it and when I lost I probably if I had lost I probably would have quit playing the game I did manage to beat it and it took virtually all the reserves of healing herbs and, and uh, MP restores that I had um, to be able to do so but when I did I gained like three levels because I'd killed I couldn't even tell you how many goblins in that course of time. Um, after which I was a little bit stronger and then the next battle wasn't nearly as bad and so on and so forth. But that initial one was fucking brutal. Um, anyway, <laughs> and, and because I didn't realize until about halfway through the game, and this is kind of funny too, um, like I noticed my sword skills, I was learning new sword skills as I gained levels. But I wasn't learning any new boomerang skills, and Ronfar wasn't learning any new skills, and uh, even G the next character uh, wasn't learning any skills. And like I said, this was pretty late in the game. I figured it out. Um, you gain these uh, points. They're they're just called like M points or something. Every time you defeat an enemy, and you can spend these points to save your game. Well, that sounds terrible, I know, but you get anywhere from like 300 to a thousand points every every battle. And it only costs like 100 to 200 points to save your progress. And you can save anywhere. This is uh, one of the few older RPGs that you're just allowed to save anywhere on the overhead map at any time. Just beautiful. And um, so, you know, uh, it's not too bad. And I thought, wow, man, I've got like, you know, 30, 40,000 of these stupid points. And I'll never need anywhere close to that. Why do they even put that system in? And then I just kind of nonchalantly scrolled over on one of Ruby's commands, magic. And I thought, well, Ru Ruby doesn't have magic. She basically serves as like a, a, a catch-all bag. She can carry all the equipment that you don't want your characters holding because they have a finite amount of slots that they can hold shit. Sure enough, if you select magic, you can use those points also to level up abilities, um, certain abilities. Certain ones just level up on their own depending on your level. And other ones such as Boomerang and Ronfar's healing and his uh, chance abilities and stuff, you can level up um, through uh, this system. And when I realized that, I kind of smacked myself in the head and immediately like leveled up a bunch of stuff and uh, was far more powerful than before. So uh, pro tip, if you play this game, don't realize that late. Uh, start doing that early in the game. And I did forget to mention Ronfar's abilities. He, he basically is a dedicated healer. Um, he learns... He starts out with just, he can heal a single character, and then as you level him, he can heal multiple characters, revive characters, and he has also this chance ability, which is unique, but it's kind of like Setzer's dice, or not dice, but um, slots in Final Fantasy 3 slash 6, in that it's random on what it does, but unlike Setzer, like, Setzer might do a very nominal amount of damage to an enemy using his slot system, or he might deal, like, you know, summon the airship, and it's, like, badass. Well, Ronfar, he, his two are much more high and low. He can either, like, kill your entire party or deal, like, retarded damage and everything in between. Maybe heal everybody or deal a moderate amount of damage or cast a, a defensive boost on everybody or heal a moderate amount of MP or whatever. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, so that ability is not too great. And then the next few abilities are similar on that and the only one in chance that you really want is the last one is uh, called Hades Wager and it will revive all your party members which that one's quite useful but um, the other ones not as much anyway um, where the hell was I oh we were in the illusion woods 
So you get to the end of the Illusion Woods, and there's this um, carnival going on. And they're kind of these gypsy people, you know. And uh, in particular, when you walk in, there's this girl, this gorgeous, you know, like ethnic girl. She's very tan and dark-haired, very, very beautiful girl. And she's dancing. And everyone in the carnival is just stunned at how well she's dancing. And you learn very quickly her name is Jean, or, or Jean, one or the other. Um, J-E-A-N. before. Are you visiting? Well, my name is Jean. I'm the star dancer. And she's a pretty cool chick. Well, you don't know much about her except that she's a dancer and everyone envies her. And then you, you, you know, you buy a few things from the carnival and then you say, yeah, well, goodbye. And, and you go to leave through the, the door in the back so that you can exit into the next area. And um, the ground starts shaking. And you can't get past because there's like this big gap in the uh, the last part of the dungeon the exit, and no one can jump across it. And you're like, well, what just happened? Let's go back to the carnival and see what's up. And you go back, and uh, there's all these like plant tentacles coming out of the ground, and they're grabbing various members of this carnival and pulling them into the ground, sucking them down in there. And uh, everyone's freaking out. And Jean said, oh, I must do something about this. And you talk to her and, and explain, well we'd go down there and do something about whatever this creature is reaching up grabbing your your people except we can't get past this area and she goes well let me join you i think i have an idea and she joins and uh, she lays a plank <laughs> pretty simple solution across this gap so that you can walk across and she joins up and she has the ability of dance um you start off with i believe it's called butterfly dance and needle step and these are both uh attack dances one will make the enemy poisoned, um, that would be needle step, or no, that would be a butterfly dance, and the other one makes them paralyzed. So, having crossed this little area, you'll, you're able to take your uh, newly found party member down through this last area and fight this enemy called Plantilla. And it's a fairly easy battle if you've been leveling up. Just use a hero's post sword and um, Jean's needle step and use you know, Ronfar to heal your party, and you'll get through this pretty easily. And then when you come back up, um, you know, all the villagers, or carnivals, carnies, I guess, are saved, and uh, Jean kind of decides, you know, obviously, hey, I think I'll go with you. Um, she has her reasons, kind of, but we don't really learn any of those now, at least not in the Sega CD version. Um... Uh, the PlayStation version better explains Jean's motivation for joining you. Uh, we'll learn that in this version, but much later. I believe in the PlayStation version, they actually uh, give you a couple of like flashback cutscenes to explain what's going on with Jean in the first place. But anyway, so we travel on to the next area. One second. Gosh, I believe the name of the city is Takir. And within Takir... Um, we try and pass through this gate to go on to the next area, but it's blocked off. And they just won't let you through no matter what. 
but there's this mysterious figure and, and this figure says, hey, y'all want to get through that gate? I know another way, but I need to test your magic first. What a weird thing to say. Well, she says, if you go over across the way to this house that is haunted and make your way to the end of the house, then you'll prove yourselves worthy and I'll show you the way. So you really have no other choice, so you enter the ghost house. Well, you go into the ghost house and each level is locked off. There's like a big room that's a... Uh, Imagine like a mansion that's uh, three stories, but you can get to the three stories within the, you know, the first, the, just the first opening area, the foyer or whatever of the, the mansion has like a big set of stairs. Like imagine Resident Evil 1, the way that opens up, if you've played that, uh, except that it's three-tiered. And uh, you'll notice all the doors are locked on the first and second tier. The first tier is open, and it says... Um, it gives you some form of riddle that kind of says that uh, hero's ability is going to be the key to get through that level. Where you, the the enemies, thank God, aren't randomized here. They're at various intervals as you enter different doors, and you enter these little dungeony areas. And every time you pass through a new door, you get attacked by an enemy, and those enemies can only be affected by uh, one spell that your party has. In this case. They can only be affected by uh, Hero's Boomerang. And then once you get through that area, the second level, they can only be affected by Ronifar's... Oh gosh, I want to say it's his curing ability or something? Yeah, I think it is actually. Um, and then the third level can only be affected by Jean's um, butterfly ability. And... What, oh no, it's not Ronifar's curing ability. My apologies. Ronfar also starts with a spell, I forgot to mention, because it's almost entirely useless, um, of putting things to sleep. And uh, it's his sleep ability, he can put things to sleep, and then you, you're able to attack them on the second level. And the third level is uh, Jean's butterfly ability. If she uses her butterflies in the third level, it like they grab and take the shell away from, I think, these tortoises or something, and enables them to be hit, or something like that. Um, anyway, you get through all three of those, and you get to this final area, there's this giant robot that looks kind of clunky and weird, and it is only affected by uh, magic, or predominantly only affected. You can attack it, but it doesn't do a whole lot of damage. This, again, is not too terrible a fight. It's relatively easy, especially since there are no actual enemies. Once you defeat the enemies at the various doors and stuff, you can leave the dungeon and, uh, you know, go, like, heal up at a goddess statue and then come back full healed and just run through that area of dungeon because there aren't going to be any enemies you know they don't respawn so that's kind of neat and um you get to the end easily enough and then defeat this guy and the 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 girl that you met earlier well you you kind of knew it was a girl because you could see kind of a shadowy face emerges and she reveals herself to be a girl and uh, her name is Lamia, and she is the daughter of the premier of Vane. And Vane is the, this island that used to float in the sky in the first game, but it was destroyed and knocked to the earth, and now it's on, in hard times. And Lamia is searching about the world to try and find people to join uh, the magic guild of Vane to try and restore it to its former glory. And you guys passed the test, and she's going to 
go with you until you can reach Vane so that you can join her or whatever. And Lamia's pretty cool. She's um she's kind of a uppity, you know. I guess you did pass. Lamina Alsa, you have now officially passed the entrance exam to the Magic Guild of Bane. <laughs> Did I surprise you? Uh, but she's able to cast uh, spells, offensive spells, in the way of uh, fire and ice, and she also has a few defensive spells, um, like Magic Barrier, and she can even, uh, at zero mana cost, cast a spell that will steal magic from an enemy, so she can effectively never run out of magic, although it is kind of wonky. It usually doesn't give you very much magic when you cast that spell, but enough if you're in a pinch, you can use it to, you know, maybe cast a few extra spells and uh, get through a battle or whatever. So it's kind of cool. And um, she's, you know, typical for her type of wizard type. Uh, she's very frail. She doesn't hit attack-wise for shit. She has no range, but she has tremendous magic power and um, MP points and so on. So, you know, she kind of rounds it out a little a little better. Now now you've got, you know, in Jean, she's, she basically, even though she's not a great attacker, she's pretty good. She, I forget, failed to mention, attacks with a battle fan, and she can actually attack three times per round, as opposed to Hero only attacking two at this point, and Ronfar and Lamia just the one time, and of course Lucia uh, does whatever the fuck she wants, so... Now your party's starting to round out a little bit. So now you've opened up a way to kind of go backwards. Um, you're not able to go through Takir, it's still blocked off. But now you are able to go south and to a town called East Nota. And um, you, again, you buy a few things in East Nota. Leo actually is now appearing in the Destiny again. He's still chasing you. And, oh, what do you do? You know, you can't get away from him. Well... That carnival that Jean was in just happens to have traveled from the Illusion Woods now up to East Nota, and they're in town. So you can go to the carnival, and there's some nifty things you can do. Um, you decide that to help hide from Leo and his men, you need to change Lucia out of her garb that she's wearing, which is like this very obvious red robe and kind of a big red hat, um, to something more contemporary for at least this world and she dresses more like your average person or whatever um, you do get this little cutscene that's kind of cute where uh, the girls are dressing Lucia up in different clothes and um, they they do everything from like a clown outfit to a bunny eared outfit to all this different stuff and Lucia is very naive and doesn't know what's going on up to including the point where you know Hero and Ronfar they're kind of peeping in the hole and they get caught um, watching Lucia change there, and uh, the other two girls are like, oh, what are you doing, you know, the peeping Tom's perverts, you know, like they should, and uh, Lucia says, uh, oh, did you guys want to help me pick an outfit too? She just doesn't, she doesn't have shame at this point in the game. She learns these things as she goes, but basic human emotion is something that she seems to be lacking. Anyway, you, you're done choosing your outfit, but Leo finds you anyway. You get bought a little time by the leader of the carnival. He says, hey, you know, I'll, I'll uh, mislead him, and you guys go in the magic arrow. Well, there's this 
Magic Arrow, I guess. Uh, there's a number of different things throughout the carnival that you can do. Little games and stuff that you can play, none of which are uh, of note, really. Um, and this arrow is one thing that you can do that uh, will shoot you, or shoot and fly through the air and land some distance. And this guy says, well, you know, if I crank it up max power, I can shoot you to where you're needing to go. And uh, you climb in it just as Leo discovers that the carnival leader is uh, covering for you. And uh, he runs up on it, and you're all strapped in, ready to go. And Leo uses his uh, power, he says, some sort of power, and says, uh, oh, you, th you only thought you were going that way. And he spins the damn thing around, and you get shot the opposite direction. And when you crash land, you're in this area that you have no idea where you're at. So now you've opened up a way to kind of go backwards. Um, you're not able to go through Takir. It's still blocked off. But now you are able to go south and to a town called East Nota. And um, you, again, you buy a few things in East Nota. And um, Leo actually is now appearing in the Destiny again. He's still chasing you. And, oh, what do you do? You know, you can't get away from him. Well, that carnival that Jean was in just happens to have traveled from the Illusion Woods, now up to East Noda, and they're in town. So, you can go to the carnival, and there's some nifty things you can do. Um, you decide that to help hide from Leo and his men, you need to change Lucia out of her garb that she's wearing, which is like this very obvious red robe and kind of a big red hat. Um to something more contemporary for at least this world and she dresses more like your average person or whatever um, you do get this little cutscene that's kinda cute where uh, the girls are dressing Lucia up in different clothes and um, they, they do everything from like a clown outfit to a bunny-eared outfit to all this different stuff and Lucia is very naive and doesn't know what's going on up to including the point where you know Hero and Ronfar, they're kind of peeping in the hole, and they get caught um, watching Lucia change there. And uh, the other two girls are like, oh, what are you doing? You know, the peeping Tom's perverts, you know, like they should. And uh, Lucia says, uh, oh, did you guys want to help me pick an outfit too? She just doesn't, she doesn't have shame at this point in the game. She learns these things as she goes, but basic human emotion is something that she seems to be lacking. Um... Anyway, you, you're done choosing your outfit, but Leo finds you anyway. Um, so you get bought a little time by the leader of the carnival. He says, hey, you know, I'll, I'll uh, mislead him, and you guys go in the magic arrow. Well, there's this magic arrow, I guess. Uh, there's a number of different things throughout the carnival that you can do, little games and stuff that you can play, none of which are uh, of note, really. Um, and this arrow is one thing that you can do that... Uh, will shoot you or shoot and fly through the air and land some distance and this guy says well you know if I crank it up max power I can shoot you to where you're needing to go and uh, you climb in it just as Leo discovers that the carnival leader is uh, covering for you and uh, he runs up on it and you're all strapped in ready to go and Leo uses his uh, power he says some sort of power and says, uh, oh, you, th you only thought you were going that way, and he spins the damn thing around, and you get shot the opposite direction. And when you crash land, you're in this area that you have no idea where you're at. So you've landed, 
you know nothing of where you are, and there appears to be no way out, but there is this symbol on the ground. And Lucia uh, knows what this symbol is, and she says, I sense some ancient magic here. And she casts some spell and opens up a, transforma a transportation portal that allows you to enter this building that you're on top of. And this building, building is a, this old tower, and you make your way through and realize pretty quickly um, that this is Galleon's Tower. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's strange because Galleon died in the first game, but apparently he's back. And even though he's not the big bad, uh, he's definitely in cahoots with him in some way. And uh, what's, what's unique about this is as you're, you, know, you go through the tower, and it's kind of annoying. You've got a lot of these one-way elevator type things that you have to do. Uh, it's pretty standard RPG stuff for the time. You will find your way through fairly easily, but it can be annoying at times. Um, you get to the very end of the thing, though, and there's these fairies that, in this garden that Galleon has been taking care of, and they all speak very highly of him and how caring and kind Galleon is. Which is weird because that is so unlike Galleon. Um, anyway, so that's just, I don't know, maybe some foreshadowing. Um, you exit, and you're now able to reach East Nota, whereas before you weren't because Leo uh, was in town and he was blocking the bridge that led one to the other. So, from here, you go to a town called Zulan. Now, the first thing you notice when you hit Zulan is that it is covered in ice, and everyone in town is complaining about how unnaturally cold it is. So, something's going on, some evil shit. Um, they, they all mention that there's this big bad up in the mountains that every time they send men up there, the men that do come back are beat to shit, and could you maybe help out? Okay, fine. So you go up in these mountains, after buying some new equipment, you can buy a, a glass fan and, for Jean and a, I believe a flail for Ronfar and some other equipment and what have you is uh, upgraded as well. And you go up in the mountains and it's pretty standard stuff. Um, you keep, you'll go through a dungeon portion and then you'll reach like a, a gap that you can't get across. But if you climb higher in the mountains, you'll see a giant snowball and if you roll these down, They'll roll into these gaps, and you get a small cutscene, and they'll say, hey, we can get across now, and now you backtrack, and now you can walk across that. That happens two or three times, and uh, eventually you reach the top of this mountain, and uh, Lucia says, you know, hey, you, she has like a little hissy fit. She does this a few times through the game. Um, she doesn't need your help, and she runs off on her own. You go to find her, and before you do, this avalanche happens, and everyone's avalanche, oh no, you hear a howl, and um, you come to with Lucia standing over you, and she's healed you, and she said, I had to come back, I felt this pain in my heart, I didn't know what it was, and he said, well, well, that's worry, Lucia, you've never been worried about someone, and she hasn't, again, she's never had emotions before that she came to this planet, um, so she experiences worry and loneliness and sadness, and uh, she heals you, and then in turn you kind of walk up and you find each other member of your party, and she heals them as well. And when you get to the top, you fight the big bad, which is this Yeti. 
and he's not too hard really if you use mostly fire attacks and manage to find the flame saber which is an item that you can find on the way up that's kind of hidden so maybe look at a game pack or something i managed to find it on accident and it was infinitely useful it also has an equip effect where you can use it as an item infinitely and it will cast uh, the spell flame shot which is like the level one fire spell so that's cool too um but it attacks with fire damage and it really hurts this yeti. After you beat up the yeti, you return to Zulan and um, talk to the mayor. He's thankful that, he, you know, you've saved the village. It's still covered in ice, but everyone says, you know, oh no, we're used to, uh, to this amount of ice. This is like summer to us. So, you know, what's cold to one might not be for another. That's uh, certainly true where I come from. Anyway, um, he doesn't give you a reward, but you're now able to continue on your quest and go through this town. Um, so you just leave through the cave that you uh, came through in the northwest, and you can walk southwest to Maribia. Now, you may remember Maribia in the previous Lunar game. It's kind of a, the biggest city in Lunar. It's this huge, huge city. And in the original Lunar... Um, there was a character named Ramus that set up shop in, uh, in Lunar. He was kind of the uh, best friend of the main character, Alex, in the first game. And he's kind of just a fat, nerdy fellow and uh, doesn't really do so great as a party member. But once you reach Meribia in the original game, he decides to settle down there and become a merchant. And by the end of the game, he has the biggest, most successful store in all of Lunar. And uh, he actually, in that game, gives you items for free. Well, this game takes place, I believe, 500 years after the fact, and uh, the store is actually still there, and it's run by uh, a young man named Ramus the, like, 8th or something, and um, the stores, I, I say plural because uh, it was so successful, apparently, they opened up stores all over the place, but this Ramus's father, I suppose, Ramus the 7th or something, actually, I think his name is different, but whatever, um was really bad with money and he ended up running all the stores into the ground except for the main store there in Meribia so it's the only one left and it's not doing so great um, but if you remember in the first one there was a hole that led to the sewers in the back well this has been plastered over but you can hear noises from it that becomes important uh, very shortly anyway you can also um, in the first game the, the master of the town was uh, oh gosh I can't even remember his name uh, big guy that wielded an axe with one hand and was uh, Jessica's father, uh, Master Mel, that was his name. Um, Master Mel's not in this game, obviously, 500 years later, and the, uh, the, the man that leads this city now is named Master Lun, and he is a karate master. Um, he also is the guardian of the blue dragon, so he's one of the four heroes. Now, you go talk to him, and you, you start to unfold a little bit of Jean's story. Apparently, she was, as a child, abducted and taken by this guy that taught her blue dragon karate, but also a technique called uh, uh, black assassin karate or something of that nature. And she was being raised to be an assassin and quite evil, actually. Um, she broke free and ran away, but she was um, the star pupil of this uh, masked man that was training her and other children that she was stealing. And she's actually um, renounced the way of the uh, 
ninja or whatever, and uh, that's why she's become a dancer. Whereas she does retain her skills, she she just I don't know she she's decided that it reminds her too much of her past. So you learn that, and you you talk to Master Lun, and he seems a pretty reasonable fellow or whatever. So they people around town, and I believe Master Lun as well, tell you that the uh, Blue Dragon Cult has been uh, attacking and stealing children, and that they're located on Taben's Peak, which is to the east, I believe, yeah. So you leave Moribia to go check out this cult, and you enter this forested area, and the first thing you notice when you walk in is this um, white flying version of Ruby. It looks just like Ruby, except it's white. Now, if you've played Lunar 1, you know that this is Null, the white dragon. Um, no spoiler there, really, because he tells you that sh shortly, but um, he hides in the bushes, and when he pops out, he's actually a young teenager, and he talks to you, and you say, hey, why are you, you know, stealing these kids? And he's like, me stealing these kids? Whatever. You know, whatever. Um, uh, if you want to learn more, come meet me at the top of the base, you know. And he uh, runs off, and you'll notice there's a gondola. You, you walk up, there's this big tower-looking thing. It's like a tree fort. And there's a gondola that uh, would normally take you to the top, but there's no one there to man the thing, so you have to go the hard way. Well, this is a pretty straightforward dungeon. It looks difficult because there's some trees that kind of overhang, depending on, you know, when you walk. Uh, it'll cover up certain things, but it's actually not that difficult of a, a climb. And uh, once you get to the top, you're able to talk to uh, Nal again. And he says, you know, it's not him stealing the kids. He's been taking in orphans for some time, and he... He's kind of like uh, Peter Pan and the Lost Boys up here. And uh, someone has been stealing kids from him. And he says, if you want to know the truth, go into the Meridian sewers. So now you go back to Meridia. And uh, where you heard those noises at uh, Ramus's shop, you're able to open a door. Or a door opens. I, I can't remember which. But you're able to go in the sewers now. And it's an extremely short dungeon. But you meet up with a masked man trying to make off with some kids on a boat. And uh, Gene recognizes this guy right away and says, I won't let you take these children like you took me. Oh, Gene, my prized student, says the masked man. And blah, blah, blah. And she throws a fucking kick at his face. And it knocks the mask off of him. And he covers up quickly with his robe. And... Uh, jumps on the boat without the children and uh, runs off. And no one got a good look at the guy, uh, unfortunately. But you did save the kids. And uh, you take these back to um, Tanal, and he actually, I forgot to mention, he actually made Lucia stay with him as a, uh, oh, like, I don't know, bargaining chip or whatever, like sometimes you see in a film where they'll say, okay, I'm going to let you guys leave. Uh, but you got to leave one of your members behind so that I know you're not trying to, you know, do this or do that. Anyway, uh, Lucia returns to you, and she's kind of discovered uh, some things about herself in uh, being around these kids and stuff, you know. So she's ever becoming more human. And, w in fact, when you go to find her, previously when, you know, she was changing, she had no qualms about men looking at her naked because she didn't realize she was even supposed to be embarrassed. Well... There's a scene now in which uh, she's bathing and Hero walks upon her and uh, she's very embarrassed. You know, she covers up quickly and, Hero, please wait for me outside. And she's blushing, um, something that didn't occur before. So, like I said, she's becoming more and more human 
uh, as as the game progresses. So you get her back, and now the children of Cabin's Peak have removed the blockade that was leading to the city of Vane. So now you're able to go to Vane. Well, you go there, and it's blocked off, um, of course. Uh, Borgen, who is the Black Dragon Guardian, and also just a fat piece of shit, um, imagine, if you will, if you've seen the movie Dune, if you know the Baron from that film, this character is effectively the exact same character. He's this incredibly good magician in this game, where he's, he wasn't in Doom, but he stands upon this pedestal that floats him around because he's so incredibly fat. Um, and he's just disgusting as well. Now, uh, you do learn throughout the course of the game that somehow, before, uh, he, when he was just a member of the Magic Guild, he was actually one of the weaker magicians, and uh, not really thought of as being anything, but overnight his power kind of doubled, so that's some foreshadowing there as well. Uh, as though maybe he sold his soul to someone? I don't know. But anyway, he's uh, taken over Vane, and he's not letting anybody in. Um, luckily, though, Lamia knows a different way. If you remember in the first game, Vane was a floating city, and the only way to get into it was to go through a transportation spring. And you would jump on the spring and go through a small cave and uh, end up on the other side on the floating city of Vane. Um, you can still use the spring, it's still there and still operational, and you do that and you'll notice there's some treasure chests along the way, but every time you try and grab one, uh, Lamia says, no, 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 you can't open that, that is uh, one of the treasures of Vane, and I can't abide you taking it. Well, whatever, so you're not going to be able to get these treasure chests, at least not yet. And you get through the other side, and you can uh, meet up with Borgen there, and you know, there's there's several things you can buy in the city. This is actually the first city that you can buy uh, uh, silver lights, which restore all your magic power, and that is, oh, so helpful. Uh, you'll want to stock up on these. They're kind of pricey, but you're going to want to buy as many as you possibly can. And there's some other good magic items at the uh, uh, weapon shop and, and uh, armor shop there for you to pick up as well. Anyway, you meet up with Borgen. Uh, and he is talking to L Lamia's mother, who is the premier of Vane. She's the leader. And uh, he is totally infatuated with her, and there's a, a short skirmish where you don't actually fight, but you get a scene where uh, you're, it seems as though you're about to fight, and Borgen uh, warps your mother away, and she seems to be cast under some spell in which she actually finds Borgen, who, once again, is this fat, pimply floating beast of a man that has a disgusting gravelly voice uh, somehow she thinks that he is handsome and a wonderful man so obviously she's under some sort of spell and um, he whisks her away to a city he calls Neovane which he says is much better than the actual Vane and that if Lamia uh, ever gets her head straight maybe she'll come to live there as well and then he warps himself away and you get a cutscene where Lamia is kind of down on herself and everything and feels like she can't do anything, and um, you go and have a word with her. Blessedly, um, this isn't one of those games where the main character doesn't actually say anything. Um, this is one of those games that um, the main character actually talks. You know, when you select something, there'll be, you know, sometimes several uh, pages, of, pages or whatever you want to call it, of dialogue that the main character will say, so he actually has a personality that comes through, which is really nice. And uh, he says a few words to Lamia that, uh, you know, 
bring her back to her senses and she joins you again and uh, you set on your merry way once this occurs she says you know since you guys are my best friends i suppose i can allow you to have the treasures of vain and now you can go through and go to all the different treasures both within the city and the cave itself to um to gather those up and there's some pretty good stuff there uh be sure to visit the library of vain as well because you can read every bookshelf and there are quite a few and uh, many of them reference the first game which if you've played it's it's kind of neat. It's kind of a throwback to, hey, I remember that. Okay, so we just left Vane, and I'm an hour into talking about this game, and uh, I've easily got another hour to go. So as per I normally do, I'm going to kind of stop here, but I will kind of spoil a few things for you because there's some really cool stuff I wanted to talk about. In particular, um, when Eugene or... Jean or whatever her name is finally meets up with her uh, her master and uh, she fights him in the tournament you discover uh, it's actually Master Lun dun 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 you kind of easy to figure out actually but um, so Master Lun is actually the masked man and he's one of the four heroes and all the four heroes are in cahoots with Zophar so it's you know not too surprising well when you go to fight him in this tournament because he's fighting in this big karate tournament that apparently he wins every year. Um, Jean remembers or starts re-practicing or whatever it is, her martial arts, and uh, she completely changes as a character sprite, um, becomes infinitely more badass, and she gains all these abilities, including an actual Hadouken and um, a flying kick and some other just badass shit. And she's able to equip uh, much cooler weapons than just uh, battle fans and still retains the ability to attack three times per round. But now she attacks um, much more frequently and also randomly counterattacks when she's attacked. So she really becomes a freaking badass. Um, also in this game later on, uh, General Leo kind of realizes that he's uh, he's not been... Um, operating under an actual goddess. The goddess that he has been doing all this stuff for his entire life is a fake goddess. And uh, you don't know what's going on with the real goddess yet, but uh, Leo opts to help you, and he joins you. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, initially, he joins you under the guise of this uh, character, Mystere, and he wears a mask to uh, hide his identity, but everyone uh, knows it's Leo, known as Fooled. But uh, he does that because he, he's torn between serving his goddess and helping you guys, who are obviously in the right. Uh, ultimately, he does decide to uh, join you. You do have to uh, fight him and all the other masters, Borgen, Lun, as I previously mentioned, uh, Leo, and uh, Mori, to gain their uh, dragon auras in which they derive their power from, and then you use the dragon auras to unlock uh, all four of the dragons who are locked away and a faux dragon is put in their place. And the reason they're locked away is because Althena is locked in this tower, and you can't get her out without the aid of the four dragons' powers. So um, Galleon and Zophar locked away the dragons, put some fake ones in their place, and then uh, the only key to uh, unlocking the dragons is defeating the guardians. So kind of convoluted, but once you've unlocked all four uh, 
dragons, then you, the main character hero, can become a dragon master, which is the other really cool thing. So, those, um, those are the really finer points of the end game of this game, um, in a nutshell. Now, is this game worth it? In a word, yes. Um, my wife got me the Sega CD version a couple Christmases back, and that was really, really cool of her. I've owned the uh, PlayStation version for some time, and it's it's a wonderful game as well. In fact, of the two, it's uh, admittedly the better version. Um, if you don't own this collection, in, or not collection, if you don't own this game in some form and you you consider your, yourself a, a player of RPGs, um, you're doing it wrong. You really need to own this game. It only goes for about 70 to $100 on either system, depending on uh, what time of year it is. The nearer Christmas it is, the higher these things go. Um, you can tip typically pick up a complete copy of either for about 70 bucks and it's definitely worth it um, you will get 20 to 30 hours gameplay uh, much more if you want to really go in depth the, these are just great RPGs and they hold up even after I don't know what it's been like 21 years or something man it, I mean this game's old enough to drink but it's still beautiful um, just check it out man I don't know what to say about it anyway um, that's all I got I, I want to give a quick shout outs um, a shout out to the RPG show um, who you may have heard me shout out previously uh, most recently they've done an episode on Sukoden or Suikoden as I always called it and um, it, this is the first game of the series of five and it's one of my absolute favorite RPGs they go in depth on a second episode they actually review all 108 characters in the game. Um, sounds boring, but if you're a fan of the series, it's definitely something you're going to want to check out. They do an excellent job. Um, hopefully someday in the near future, I keep saying it, but we'll figure it out. One of us will be on the other's podcast or something. I don't know. But um, it's a great podcast. They're just kind of still starting out. They've only got a, a few episodes, but they put out more content than I do. I, I do one a month. These guys put out stuff uh, virtually every week or every other week. So uh, definitely check them out. I also want to uh, mention um, all the people that gave condolences to me uh regarding my father I really appreciate that I got several emails um, from a lot of people I didn't know and uh, that was really sweet of uh, all you guys it, it made me feel uh, loved or whatever I don't know it made me feel much better to know that there were people out there that uh, cared about my feelings um, and a special shout out to uh, Mr. James who regularly writes uh, I failed to mention on his last email that he did make some game suggestions which I, I encourage you all to do because uh, I'd like to know what you want to hear about regardless of whether or not I own it and he suggested a, a, a couple of games for the Sega Saturn um, Albert Odyssey and oh I can't remember the other one it was another really great RPG both of which I want to do um, unfortunately the Saturn is notorious for uh, not really being able to be emulated 100% and I don't own either of those titles yet although if I do buy them and I, I do plan on buying both uh, sometime in the future I don't know exactly when um, I will definitely be reviewing those James and I thank you for your suggestion um, anyway you guys can reach me at uh, RetroKel K-H-E-L on Twitter um, you can email me at Simon Belmont that's Simon not Simon Belmont at Outlook.com I have some other stuff on Facebook 
YouTube, etc. Um, really nothing's been updated there in some time, so if you really, really want to find me on those things, you can just uh, listen to one of my previous episodes. Otherwise, don't worry about it. But uh, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, one more episode in the bag. I've almost been doing this a year. I can hardly believe it. Um, I, I, I appreciate all your support, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Live.